It's time to be all that you can be in 23, starting with a cold plunge to get a natural boost in energy. Focus, discipline, and resilience. The plunge can provide you with all that brilliance. This is the ultimate home cold water therapy experience. A sleek, slick, custom-designed unit that gives you ready access to a cold bath of clean, filtered, circulating water that you can set to your desired temperature. Don't fool around lugging bags of ice from the supermarket for once-in-a-while action. Get the plunge so you will actually stick with your protocol and enjoy it. Visit at thecoldplunge.com to learn all about this sensational product and the benefits of therapeutic cold water exposure. They'll deliver a plunge to your home for free, and then you have easy, simple setup, regular plug-in, and you're off and running. I set mine to 39. I don't spend a lot of time, but the experience is prime, and I'm focused and energized for a fantastic day and more resilient against all other forms of stress in life. Take the plunge, people, and also check out their new Rebounder mini trampoline to pair with plunging and optimize lymphatic function. It's all at thecoldplunge.com, and you can't lose with their generous 30-day money-back guarantee and special discount for BRAD podcast listeners using the code BRAD, thecoldplunge.com. The BRAD podcast is brought to you by... MOFO, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's macadamia masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, now offered on Amazon. Chili technology, temperature-controlled mattress systems for a good night's sleep. InsideTracker.com, offering blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data all in one place. And Organifi, whole food organic superfood supplements and drink blends. And please visit the shopping page at bradkearns.com for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance with great discounts for listeners. Here we go with the show. No, I don't think we have those regrets in life. In fact, uh, the most regrets we probably have are when we lose our cool we step away from being the Kung Fu master and get into it and uh, hurt people's feelings and uh, destroy uh, the foundation of relationships by taking uh, hurtful comments, putting them out there into the air, knowing that they really, in a way, can never be taken back. Even if you say, sorry, I didn't mean it, um, the damage is still done, right? We want to uh, perform in that sweet spot of 10 to 20 seconds. That's the optimal duration of an all-out Uh, maximum effort, high-intensity sprint. So uh, honing, refining excellent technique with complex compound movements such as Olympic lifting while you're getting tired and fatigued is a great recipe for injury. Okay, check it, check it, check it out. We have part three of how to boost testosterone and avoid the slippery slope downhill that we are seeing in modern life with an epidemic decline in the average male testosterone level dropping at a steady rate of 1% per year since the 1980s. Ouch! And in part one, we talked about four factors that are really taking us down in modern life. That is uh, inadequate sleep, poor sleep practices, and also lack of downtime. For the first time in human history, we now have mobile devices to keep us constantly entertained, stimulated, and stress hormone production, chronic overproduction of stress hormones, which antagonizes testosterone. So we need more rest and downtime, as well as better evening sleep habits. Then we talked about junk food, the heavily processed nutrient-deficient food that forms the bulk of our calories in modern life, unless we're really careful and on a real nice focused path of choosing the most nutritious foods and getting rid of these offenders, the heavily processed big three toxic modern foods of refined grains, sugars, and industrial seed oils. And then number three was relationship conflict. Anger, resentment, arguing, and nitpicking are huge testosterone killers. I have great shows with Dr. John Gray, author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, especially covering his recent book called Beyond Mars and Venus, 
which covers the hormonal underpinnings that influence romantic relationships and how they can make or break our testosterone, our health, our longevity. And then finally, number four, uh, we're doing the wrong kinds of exercise, either not moving enough in general everyday life and or uh, performing overly stressful workout patterns, especially with today's modern emphasis in the fitness industry on chronic cardio, chronic steady-state cardio, and overly stressful HIIT workouts. So in part two, we focused on optimizing sleep habits and optimizing diet, leaving us two more categories to cover in this wonderful part three show. And so we're going to do relationships and exercise patterns. Oh, yeah. Of course, there are uh, full shows and books filled with advice on how to be the best you can be in relationships. There's so much advice out there that oftentimes it gets a little overwhelming. So I like to look for simple insights and things that you can remember as you go through day-to-day life. Uh, a few have impacted my life as profoundly as John Gray's awesome advice to be the kung fu master, the calm, cool, collected person in the story. This is how you optimize testosterone levels and be the nicest, most appreciated guy that you can possibly be. So learning how to go with the flow in daily life and learning to manage and control your propensity for emotional reactivity or the bad behavior or unregulated behavior. Um, John Gray said some profound insights. One of them was that in uh, primal times, the male's primary biological drive is to protect the female And the female's primary biological drive is to feel protected, loved, cared for, and to uh, give uh, love and nurturing and connection uh, in her her environment, in her community. So this is what we're all about. This is what we exist for. Uh, But uh, John Gray made the distinction that um, in primal times, the male's primary, primary biological drive to protect, to conquer environment, to solve problems, seek challenges, rise to the top of social structure. Today, uh, the most important thing to protect the female from is not the predator that's lurking around the camp to eat everybody. No, the most, the biggest danger for the modern female is to be protected from the male's own anger. Ah, that's her biggest danger. I'm not talking about domestic violence and all those kind of things. Of course, that's a dramatic example of what we have here. But also uh, for the female to feel a whole in a relationship and uh, healthy and well-balanced emotionally and hormonally, she needs to be protected from your own anger. Okay, Uh, so that's the... Uh, argument for being the kung fu master, the calm, cool, collected person who refuses to engage in prolonged, protracted, nitpicking, arguing, complaining. Now, uh, this might fly in the face of certain modern trends where we want the males to open up more and be more vulnerable and be more talkative and share their feelings because for so long with our traditional cultural roles, the male was expected to be stoic. Uh, They weren't socialized to share emotions or share deep feelings. The female obviously was on a different socialized path for these traditional female cultural roles where they very easily uh, engaged and were free to talk and express emotion and uh, get emotional and all all these things that we have as uh, a typecast stereotypes, right? And so now we want everybody to blend together. The female is expected to be a badass and go and compete and kick ass in the highly competitive testosterone-driven modern workplace. Meanwhile, the male is also expected to be uh, loving, nurturing, caretaking, vulnerable, uh, sharing feelings, all these kind of things. And John Gray kind of challenges this. He says, of course, these dynamics are happening. Uh, it represents cultural progress in many ways. But when the man goes away from those primary biological drives and engages deeply in, uh, you know, prolonged uh, arguing, nitpicking, sharing of emotions, sharing of feelings, it has the effect of depleting testosterone. He says, quote, a man who says my feelings were hurt is death to a relationship. Those comments are death to a relationship. And instead, he plants the suggestion that perhaps when you're feeling uh, disturbed, emotionally dysregulated, that you shut your freaking mouth and go off and do testosterone-boosting activities. So 
take the uh, suggestion for what it is. The guy's an expert. He's the number one best-selling relationship author of all times. And think about it in your own life and life experience. How does it work for you when you unload a, a torrent of negative emotions upon your romantic partner? Does it work well? Do you feel better after? Or do you feel drained and depleted and exhausted after long protected arguments where everybody uh, makes their point and their counterpoint and talks over you and you uh, serve up ammunition? Well, remember last year when uh, you didn't wash my car and you said you were going to? All that kind of stuff. Do you ever have uh, regrets and life for times where you didn't uh, react emotionally and go off the handle? Uh, Probably not. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, gee, reference back to that argument. I really wish I had jumped all over that comment and fired back a defensive comment or a snotty attacking counterpoint. No, I don't think we have those regrets in life. In fact, uh, the most regrets we probably have are when we lose our cool we step away from being the Kung Fu master and get into it and uh, hurt people's feelings and uh, destroy uh, the foundation of relationships by taking uh, hurtful comments, putting them out there into the air, knowing that they really, in a way, can never be taken back. Even if you say, sorry, I didn't mean it, um, the damage is still done, right? So I think it's important to reflect, uh, realize the level of potential destruction caused when you choose to engage and, and go into the battlefield and, uh, you know, put, put up your dukes and start engaging in what's truly testosterone depleting, arguing, nitpicking, and uh, just simply not engaging healthily. So uh, see how wonderful it is to go off and uh, get happy and balanced on your own and well-adjusted on your own. And these are great points made by people like uh, John Gottman, uh, Wendy Walsh, and John Gray. They all say that um, the relationship is designed to make you happier, not to fill a void and uh, make you happy. And so when you come to a relationship feeling whole and emotionally regulated and well-balanced, that's when you have the most to give. And in fact, when you go into a relationship every day, when you're in the relationship, you should see, uh, you should be focused on what you have to offer and what you have to give rather than what you can get. (laughs) So John Gottman talks about uh, the evolution of relationship going through three stages. And stage number one is you are getting your needs met from the relationship. That's stage number one. That's the basic stage. Oh, yes, I went out on a hot date. It was great. Uh, We had an incredible night. It was awesome. And you got your needs met. Wonderful. Okay, stage two, you evolve or you grow into stage two, which is you are able to meet your partner's needs. Hey, I bought her flowers. She was blown away on Valentine's Day. I couldn't believe it. She was so appreciative of my incredible gesture. And then I took her on a whirlwind vacation and paid for expensive meal. And she said it was the dream of her life to eat at that fancy restaurant, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that's stage two. And then stage three, uh, the ultimate level of sophistication or maturity of a relationship is when, quote, again, John Gottman's uh, stages here, uh, your partner's needs become your own. And you operate as a team uh, in all cases. And that's a great quote from Gottman that Mia Moore and I think about all the time, uh, where he says, you're either a team or you're not a team. There's no in between. In in every uh, thing that you face in life, you're either a team or you're not a team. And when you're a team and your partner is having a problem, and uh, their partner is emotionally dysregulated and giving you shit and calling you names, you handle that project as a team rather than as individuals. So uh, it's a wonderful way to look at everything, even when you're feeling wronged and slighted, and how dare you show up late to this important thing uh, and stress me out. No, maybe there's something wrong on the other end where you say, hey, how can we solve this as a team? Because it seems like you're having a rough day and you uh, uh, we're running behind, right? You get what I'm saying? Like everything can be looked at from a team perspective rather than the power struggle that we usually see as the centerpiece uh, most of the time in many, if not most, relationships. I love it. You're either a team or you're not a team. How is that for some relationship suggestions that you can put into action right away, right now, especially men? 
maintain, calm, cool, collected. And boy, if things do happen where your feelings are hurt, you're put out, and you feel like you need to stick up for yourself, you need to defend yourself, you need to offer counterpoints and counterarguments, John Gray has some great commentary on that where he says, guess what? Men have a short memory, and many of these disputes and conflicts can be easily resolved in the bedroom later. (laughs) Okay, off we go into the exercise realm. And we talked in the previous two shows about the extreme problems, what I see as an extreme problem with this overemphasis in the fitness industry and culture today on steady state cardio and overly stressful, prolonged, high intensity interval training sessions. So the steady state cardio that gets to be health destructive and actually can have a pro-aging effect rather than an anti-aging effect is when you do it to the extreme that you uh, overproduce stress hormones, suppress immune function, uh, breakdown, burnout, illness, injury, uh, muscle damage, lack of progress. And this is oftentimes how it goes for people who are deeply immersed into uh, the endurance training and competition scene. They battle an amazing incidence of injuries. 30% of runners are injured at any given time, according to Runner's World Survey. So it's a constant over constant battle uh, to stay away from overuse injuries that is uh, not being won by the masses of running population. And the critical cutoff point where we can distinguish between workouts that are uh, restorative, nurturing, building fitness in a gentle and progressive manner versus being overly stressful is this maximum aerobic function heart rate. And the great work, the life's work of Dr. Phil Maffetone, which is finally getting its due and being appreciated and widely distributed, that guess what? If you slow down, in many ways, you can get healthier and go faster as an endurance athlete just by exercising and emphasizing exercising in the aerobic zone. Uh, So the maximum aerobic function heart rate is the uh, upper limit of your aerobic zone, and it is approximately 180 minus your age in beats per minute. So if you're 56 like me, 180 minus age would be 124. That would be the high limit of my aerobic zone. So I'm heading down the street, pedaling my bicycle or uh, running, jogging, whatever that equates to when a pace of 124, it's actually quite comfortable. Whether you're 40 years old and you see your number is 140, when you go out there and put it into practice, you'll be usually amazed at how comfortable this pace is and how frustrating it feels like you're barely getting a workout. But this is how the elite endurance athletes in every sport have trained for nearly 60 years since uh, early pioneers like Dr. Arthur Lydiard uh, adopted this method of over-distance aerobic training to build conditioning in a sensible and progressive manner rather than just push yourself to the extremes, running too quickly, pedaling too quickly, and falling apart and trying to come back and be stronger the next day. So uh, the key is to train at a comfortable pace. Now, we've established that jogging uh, for miles at aerobic heart rate or pedaling for miles at that comfortable aerobic heart rate is just fine. It's not going to be health destructive like all the warnings we issue for uh, chronic cardio or overly stressful uh, steady state cardio. However, keep in mind that uh, the adaptive response to jogging at aerobic heart rates is going to be minimal. So you're not going to get these wonderful, fantastic hormonal boosts or anti-aging benefit. You're just going to get more conditioned to being able to head out the door and jog for four miles or eight miles or 12 miles. Uh, It's not going to be big trouble. We know that it doesn't burn a lot of calories or make much of a contribution to uh, fat reduction. Uh, That's been uh, well established by the compensation theory and the constrained model of energy expenditure. Listen to my shows with Dr. Ponser for details there. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with being competent at uh, going out there and uh, jogging four miles every day or whatever the example is, or eight miles or 12 miles. Just realize that uh, steady state cardio is a high risk endeavor because most people do it in an overly stressful manner. But if you're being a good boy or good girl and keeping that heart rate low, it's kind of like someone who hikes every morning up to the top of the peak and back into the village, uh, very healthy individual specimen uh, and not tempting the breakdown, burnout, illness and injury that comes from chronic cardio. 
However, it's interesting to reflect on the idea that your cardiovascular system doesn't really need that level of training in order for you to get uh, an A plus in cardiovascular health. It's very easy to get that A plus and to protect yourself from uh, heart disease and these prominent killers of modern humans uh, caused by inactivity and poor cardiovascular health. Uh, the work of uh, Dr. James O'Keefe, you can watch his TED Talk, Run for Your Life, but at a slow pace and not too fast, uh, and many others too in this realm, uh, suggesting that uh, only a couple hours per week of steady-state cardiovascular exercise at a comfortable pace will max out your health benefits and disease prevention benefits. And then everything else after that, if you can imagine this bell curve where the uh, diminishing returns occur. So if you exceed a couple few hours a week of steady state cardio, whether that's walking around the block with your dog or taking a weekend bike ride to the farmer's market and back and general everyday exercise, pretty soon you're maxed out. And if you start training for the upcoming 10K or the half marathon, you are tempting uh, the, the negative aspects, okay? Uh, now, just because I've uh, discussed how um, the adaptive response isn't a big deal and you get good at running four miles or eight miles, uh, I don't want I want to be clear that um, this is still far better than not being competent at anything or not being barely able to get out the door and run two miles. Uh, you may have heard that uh, long time uh, touted, attribute of P90X where you want to engage in muscle confusion because if you do a similar or same workout over and over, your body's going to get used to it and then you're not going to be in shape anymore. Uh, that is full-on bullshit. So uh, please keep in mind that if you do something challenging to your body, whether it's going through a weight training circuit, the same one, or in the case of my morning routine, which you can now see the uh, revised and updated version on YouTube, Brad Kern's morning routine, it's pretty tough. And I'll say, confuse this, you fool, if you want to try this uh, and, and see how difficult it is every day. So I'm putting my body under a little bit of difficulty uh, every single day. And if I do this for the rest of my life, it's going to be all good. There's not going to be any uh, drawbacks or lack of muscle confusion because I'm doing the exact same routine. And yes, I think that it's gotten a little bit easier over time. Uh, but not a whole lot because it's still a challenge. And so, boy, if you're someone who can do 30 push-ups every morning instead of zero and you aspire to add this to your to your A game for the rest of your life, yes, it's going to get quite a bit easier, uh, but it's still nothing to sneeze at. And it's going to be a, a winning attribute all the way forward. So if you perform any kind of physical work, you're going to stay strong and resilient, and that's fantastic. So back to the uh, the jogging four miles or pedaling your bicycle in the name of health and fitness. Uh, the main reasons to do steady-state cardio are because you enjoy it or you're preparing for a competitive event. Otherwise, there's not much uh, fitness benefit in comparison to doing explosive, high-intensity, super challenging stuff. And the return on investment for the long duration that you're spending out there uh, is vastly inferior to going uh, very short, very explosive, very difficult, and then going home. Uh, I just want to offer that to the people who are heading into uh, LA Fitness and getting on that treadmill, thinking that they need to stick it out for 30 minutes or 45 or 60 minutes. Uh, otherwise, they're uh, going to gain weight or lose fitness. You're much better off going over and doing something explosive for one, two, three, four minutes. Doug McGuff's program in uh, Body by Science argues that in 12 minutes a week, his workout protocol of 12 minutes a week can have massive fitness benefits in comparison to people exercising uh, steady-state, low-intensity cardio for hours and hours. Uh, and then we have all the risk factors, uh, as I discussed, with chronic cardio, where you can trash your hormones because of chronic overproduction of cortisol. I'm going to say that uh, during my uh, my triathlon career, when I was out there doing the extreme chronic cardio from ages 20 to 30, I argue that I probably age my body biologically, uh, not by 10 years, but probably by 17 years, right? And I'm still trying to make up for that and counterbalance it to this day. 
uh, and in many ways, when I was 30 years old, nearing the end of my career and feeling like crap and trying to hang on, uh, I felt like I was 80 years old in very uh, meaningful, significant ways. Uh, just my, uh, you know, my, my what do the, uh, the Chinese Taoists call it? It's um, your Jing, your life force. We have Qi, Shen, and Jing, the three energies in Chinese medicine. So your Qi is your daily energy, your Shen is your radiant energy, and your Jing is your life force or your total battery power uh, that you uh, uh, possess that should last you the rest of your life. Let's talk about nootropics. These are supplements designed to improve cognitive function, memory, and creativity. And I'm taking three products from a company called New Optimal, N-U Optimal. The products are MetaFocus, which promotes flow state and improves processing speed and mental clarity. It contains ingredients like phenylalanine, B12, ginkgo biloba. I'm taking MetaMemory, which is good for memory retention, verbal fluency, reduced oxidative stress, very important for the brain. This product has things like lion's mane, pine bark, and bacopa. And I'm taking MetaDrive for motivation, stress resilience. It's got a little boost of caffeine in there, ashwagandha, rhodiola. They're wonderful products with a lot of scientific detail and easy to understand information on their website. So you get the big picture of what these products are all about, not just stuffing pills down your face, but how to do the stack as they call it strategically. You get a 16 page booklet that'll guide you to optimal use when you purchase. And guess what? 60 day money back guarantee and 30% discount from me. Listen, I'm not a coffee guy. I'm not a drug guy, but I'm always looking for any type of natural edge I can get, especially for cognition. So guess what? Let's avoid that sugary junk food. Let's get enough sleep. Take a power nap when you need one and consider trying some nootropics to see if you get a natural brain boost. So go visit newoptimal.com, N-U-O-P-T-I-M-A-L and enter the code BRAD30 to get 30% discount when you try it. Newoptimal.com for way more details. So if your chi is diminished because you're pushing yourself too hard in training or you're stressed or you're having a rough time in life, then your radiant energy, your shen is going to be diminished. And if that continues as a pattern, you're going to deplete your jing and you're going to shorten your lifespan literally uh, by leading an overly stressful lifestyle, burning the candle at both ends. Um, I'm talking about uh, at that age and that time period, I had to psych myself up to get up off the couch and go to the mailbox to get the mail. It was six-tenths of a mile away, and I drove every single day because I was too tired, lazy, whatever you want to call it, to even imagine walking there on foot. Why walk there on foot? I've already run 12 miles today, and not even to pedal my bicycle there that would take a couple few minutes because maybe I'd already pedaled 84 miles through the mountains that day. Okay, sufficiently warned about the risks of chronic cardio or overly stressful high-intensity interval training that I detailed in the previous episode. Uh, but back to McGuff and many others, Dr. Ted Naiman making a great point here, Dr. John Jaquish, uh, creator of the inventor of the X3 bar. Uh, all these guys are on this wavelength where you absolutely have to challenge your muscles to produce maximum output, to put them to the absolute maximum to temporary muscular failure as as many reps as you can do uh, with pull-ups and then you drop from the bar and you're done and you can't do another one. And when you do this, when you challenge your muscles to maximum output, such as doing a sprint, uh, all-out sprint of whatever distance, uh, you are getting the genetic signaling to improve, to come back and adapt as a bigger, faster, stronger, more resilient human. And you also get this burst of adaptive anti-aging hormones that flood into the bloodstream. This is the optimal stimulation of the fight or flight response rather than the chronic stimulation of the fight or flight response that characterizes daily life where we're dealing with constant uh, source of you know, sustained low stress as we rush through our hectic day. Uh, the human fight or flight response is supposed to be for emergency life or death application only. So very short duration, running from the predator as the classic example, or fighting for your life, uh, and then you know on with your uh, very low stress, uh, pleasant, relaxing day. And so this is how 
exercise could be best contemplated is you go in there and you hit it hard and you get out of there. If I'm talking about the gym or the track or whatever, you get out of there before you get this excess stimulation of fight or flight hormones that are lingering in your bloodstream too long. That's when they have the catabolic immune suppressing hormone dysregulating effects. So we have Dr. Doug McGuff's program that he details where you're talking about 12 minutes a week total. Uh, Ted Naiman uh, detailed his fitness protocol during our show. And you can go look on his Instagram and see how ripped he is with his uh, protocol of doing single set to failure in various parts of the body or various groupings. So there's like he describes like a, a push move, a pull move, right? A push up is a pull, push move. A pull move would be like an overhead, uh, pulling the bar overhead, uh, maybe a, a squat or, or something for the uh, compound lower body movement. But he's doing a single set to failure in various body groupings. And I believe he says he does this most every day. Uh, because it takes, let's say, one minute to do maximum reps to failure on the pull-up bar. And it takes one minute to uh, sprint up to the top of the hill, or 30 seconds, ideally, no more than 30 seconds, 20 seconds. Uh, So you do a maximum effort to failure, various body part groupings. You can do them back to back to back with, you know, a couple few minutes rest in between each set. Or he also says he sprinkles these things throughout the day. So maybe he'll do a single set to failure in the morning and then three hours later go from the pull-up bar to push-ups do that single set to failure and it's a really uh, thought-provoking strategy for fitness takes only minutes a day and delivers fantastic results john jaquish's x3 bar program is the same thing uh, the x3 protocol as described by john is a 10 minute total workout duration 10 minutes and you do uh, let's see, I'm looking on my wall, the pictures. You do four exercises uh, one day and four exercises the other day. So counterbalancing the muscles so you don't fatigue the same muscles or whatnot. So he wants you to do uh, workout number one, three days a week, workout number two, three days a week, and then a rest day for the seventh day of the week. And so basically you're putting in 10 minutes of exercise per day and you're getting absolutely strong and powerful. And in his case, huge and totally ripped uh, with a fraction of the time uh, that most people are doing when they go into the gym and go through the many sequences of machines or free weights. Uh, So it's complete and total exhaustion of the muscle Uh, with the X3 protocol, because what happens is as you start to get tired, as you near the end of your rep count, uh, stretching these really thick uh, uh, rubber, rubber straps, you get tired, you're about to be done. And then what you do is you work through a reduced range of motion as you fatigue. So imagine like the chest press is the classic example where you have the bar in front of you, the straps around your back, and you're doing what amounts to a bench press. Uh, simulated bench press, stretching these straps. Uh, and as you get tired from extending your arms all the way, sending the bar far out from front in front of you, then you do these miniature reps where you're only extending the bar halfway out from front of you. So it's like a mini, uh, a mini bench press where you're not raising the bar all the way. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you're uh, continuing to fatigue that muscle, which you thought was almost maxed out until finally you're doing these three inch reps and there's no sensation like it. I'm telling you, I was absolutely blown away uh, just doing a single set of reduced range of motion uh, to full muscle exhaustion with the X3 bar. So I described the chest press there. You can also do squats. You can also do simulated deadlifts and you just make shorter and shorter range of motion reps until your arms can't perform any work whatsoever. And boy, there's nothing like that sensation of completely, he describes it as completely uh, depleting muscle glycogen. You've also exhausted the powerful fast twitch muscle fibers as well as the endurance fibers because you're doing so many reps. And it doesn't take that long, again, to completely exhaust your muscles in a way that's not possible when you're lifting machines or free weights because they don't have this uh, principle of applying Uh, variable resistance, it's called, where uh, the resistance gets more and more difficult as you get to the point where you can apply more and more force production. In other words, stretching that strap all the way to the end, uh, at the end is when you have the most power anyway. So you're aligning the resistance with your 
uh, force production potential, just to get a little too technical for you. Uh, but you can listen to more uh, with my show with Dr. Jake Wish. It's very interesting. Uh, but I think the main takeaway here uh, with the, the message from Doug McGuff, Dr. Ted Naiman, Dr. John Jake Wish is that, um, boy, um, fatiguing the muscle and the body temporarily all the way to maximum potential is a super awesome way to build fitness and prompt the desirable anti-aging hormone testosterone boost. And there's great research. I'm going to get into it on a future show uh, where I cover some of the insights provided by Dr. Andrew Huberman on the subject that these brief high-intensity sessions can produce a really uh, impressive spike in testosterone that will keep you going for hours and hours afterwards. And then if you don't overdo it, if you don't do it too frequently, and you perform the workouts correctly, you're going to be a testosterone mofo thanks to your high-intensity workouts. Now, that's a really important point to close with here because you have to do this stuff correctly. There's a great return on investment from explosive high-intensity exercise, but there's also great risk for uh, getting tired, overdoing it, and in the case of uh, disciplines like CrossFit, getting injured because you're putting your body under stress load and your central nervous system is fatiguing, you're feeling tired, your heart rate's elevated. There's research uh, validating that when your heart rate is over 140 beats per minute, which is easy to happen when you're in the midst of a high-intensity training session, uh, you're your higher level thinking, reasoning uh, starts to uh, shut down to where you can't really uh, make good decisions or, for example, execute complex technique uh, precisely because of your fatigue and because of the uh, high intensity nature of what you're doing. I think any runner can relate uh, or triathlete. I remember times when you know you're getting directed on the course to turn right, and then soon after that you're going to make a sharp left. Someone's yelling at me while I'm biking past past them at 27 miles an hour, and I can't even process the information because I'm breathing so hard, and the brain is uh, responsibly shutting down from doing all this problem solving. So uh, honing, refining excellent technique with complex compound movements such as Olympic lifting while you're getting tired and fatigued is a great recipe for injury. So when we're doing uh, these these high intensity movements, we want to make sure that you're feeling sharp and focused the whole time so that you can exhibit excellent technique, impeccable technique for the duration of the workout and for every uh, work effort that you perform. And there's always going to be a time. I know in sprinting, I can tell uh, there's a very subtle change in my uh, technique. There's a very subtle degradation of my technique when I start to get a little bit tired. And I always take that as a sign to wrap it up. Usually it's like a little burn in my hamstring or a slight tightness in the lower back when I'm finished with sprint number seven or whatever it is. And that's the sign that the body has had enough, the central nervous system has had enough and is now starting to uh, feel inhibited from the correct firing uh, and timing of the muscles to perform the work. Okay, so uh, during the session, you'll notice for uh, degradation and technique or kind of a, a, a distraction or a fogginess in the brain or a declining motivation. So at some point, you're going to kind of zone out during these difficult workouts. And that's another sign to uh, wrap it up and call it a day. Uh, in general, and looking at your progress and your uh, the way that you adapt to the workouts, these are the things that I suggest you want to look out for. And I think the first marker would be uh, that you're improving. So the MAF test is a great way to uh, indicate improvement in aerobic conditioning, right, where you uh, hit a fixed heart rate and you hold it there for a predetermined uh, duration of the test or, or distance of the test. The classic example is going to the track, uh, warming up a bit, starting the watch, getting your heart rate up to your maximum aerobic heart rate and staying as close as you can to that heart rate while you run eight laps. And then at the end of the eight laps, you look at your time. And as the months and years go by, you should be able to run faster and faster time on the same course, the same eight laps at the same heart rate. When it comes to explosive performance, uh, there are other markers, obviously, that might be more relevant to your goals. A lot of people like to track 
their single rep max in weightlifting. So now they can deadlift 608 pounds, like my man TJ, who produces all our shows and handles all the logistics behind the podcast. He's on one of my Instagram posts, uh, lifting triple his body weight, deadlifting off the ground. Absolutely impressive. And that is sort of an advanced uh, you know, extreme athletic performer there going for single rep max deadlift uh, has a high degree of uh, injury risk, of course, when you're talking about absolute maximum. So some experts are recommending, hey, why don't you track your five rep max? And that would be a little safer because it's nowhere near what you can lift for one lift. But how, how well are you doing uh, with your five rep max? And can that weight increase over time as you get stronger? Uh, I'm a high jumper, so I have a way to <laughs> track my improvement by uh, putting the bar up at a certain height and seeing if I can clear it or not. It's absolutely black and white uh, like few other sports. And that's what's so wonderful about it. And especially when I use my warm-up height, uh, like in the old days, my warm-up height was five feet. Now that's kind of uh, closer to my competitive height, hoping to change that with some uh, future reports of great success uh, in competition. Uh, But if I couldn't clear that warm-up height easily, I realized that my explosiveness was a little bit off and I had to curtail, revise the workout accordingly. So some way of measuring performance in your favorite discipline, your favorite activity, uh, that's what'll keep you honest and help you Uh, make realizations if you're overdoing it. Speaking of that, I hope everyone's enjoyed watching the Olympic track and field trials from the amazing new stadium in Eugene, Oregon, and these amazing athletes in all the different events. Uh, Especially interesting to me as a longtime observer is how uh, the old guard uh, will come and go, and here come some new people, and the great Jenny Simpson, one of the greatest female middle distance runners of all time in America, maybe the greatest of all time, uh, with her world championship gold medal in the 15 and many Olympic appearances. She did not make the team. She finished in the middle of the pack. They interviewed her after, and she said, you know what? A lot of athletes don't like to say this out loud, but the sport goes on without you. (laughs) And so what a great attitude by a great champion. And uh, you know, tracking improvement, tracking your progress, looking at your career arc. Boy, that's pretty black and white when you look at your finished position in the Olympic trials and whether or not you get to go to Japan and compete in the Olympics. I was also disheartened to see the great American 800-meter runner Donovan Brazier, world champion in 2019, the fastest American all-time. His time of 1 minute 42.3 seconds is number 9 all-time in the history of the world. And he finished in last place in the finals of the 800 meters for the trial. So he is not going to Tokyo. And boy, uh, that was the hugest upset that we've seen in the trial so far. He was, guess what? A little tiny bit off his game. Yeah, the margin of error at that level is uh, shockingly small. For example, in the 400 meter finals, the difference between first place and last place in the finals, eighth, ninth, whatever, eighth, Uh, was one second. One second! Running around an entire track, and the winner's going to the Olympics, and the eighth place person is going back to training to see if they can shave that one second off with years more of hard work. Uh, But in Donovan Brazier's case, uh, people are saying, what's wrong? What a shock, what a surprise. But I'll tell you what's wrong without even knowing him or anything about his training. Uh, Very, very, very likely that he overdid it a little bit. He overtaxed himself. He's at an extremely high fitness level and trying for that, those incremental improvements that are extremely hard to come by. And he very likely overdid it in the buildup to the Olympic trials. We could go back six months in time. Maybe he had some injuries, some illnesses that held him back. Uh, but for someone at that talent level uh, to, to cave in and the finals, clearly it was just a training error. Most likely, even at the elite level, someone who pushed themselves too hard too many times and was not quite 100% sharp on the starting line uh, for the the final qualification race. We'll see if he comes back this summer and throws down and busts one uh, like the great sprint, uh, the great uh, 100-meter hurdler Kenny Harrison. She, uh, I think, got fifth in the Olympic trials in 2016. So devastated, didn't make the team. Uh, U.S. field is so deep, and that's just the way it goes in that short race. And then I think two weeks later, 
uh, she went out there and destroyed the world record, one of the longest standing world records in track and field. It dated all the way back to the East German doping era where the females were highly doped and set these records that um, some thought would never be eclipsed because they weren't really uh, full-on females like the traditional description. Uh, But Kenny Harrison ran 12.2. It's still the world record to this day. Uh, So she got back at uh, at the Olympic trials gods who didn't want to put her on the team. Okay, fun stuff and a little uh, commentary for those of you interested in track, but uh, I wanted to bring up Brazier's case because it's so important to monitor the stress level, the stress impact, stress-rest balance of your workout patterns so that you don't overdo it and start to lose all the wonderful potential benefits. Uh, I would also like you to monitor your uh, energy level at rest. So you should feel alert, energized, maybe even pumped up for hours after these difficult workouts because they weren't too exhausting and they leave you with more energy and alertness rather than less. And so let's especially monitor the hours after the workout, uh, but also at the 24-hour mark and the 48-hour mark, we want to make sure we don't have any uh, crash and burn incidents, which are very common in my case, where I feel fantastic. I did a great uh, jumping workout, sprint workout at the track, um, feeling like a really busy, productive day afterward, and then the following afternoon, so that would be about the 30-hour mark or something, it's like, boom, crash and burn, wake up, my muscles are sore and stiff, and so there's sometimes a delayed effect once all the stress hormones uh, wear off and clear out of your bloodstream, and you realize, gee, I might have overdone it, and especially with uh, recurring post-exercise muscle soreness, we want to guard against that and avoid that kind of um, recurring pattern. Once in a while, of course, you're going to feel sore if you're doing new stuff or, or push yourself really hard like in a competition or something, but we don't want that to be a routine pattern. Um, so uh, to get going and to have that quick takeaway, I've talked about this on other shows about sprinting, but when you're doing this brief explosive high-intensity exercise, we want to uh, perform in that sweet spot of 10 to 20 seconds. That's the optimal duration of an all-out uh, maximum effort, high intensity sprint or set. You could call it uh, kettlebell swings for 10 to 20 seconds. You could call it sprinting on the bike. You could be sprinting on flat ground. You could be uh, doing the battle ropes, whatever it is. That's the sweet spot where you get the optimal hormonal and cellular benefits without that cellular destruction that occurs when you exceed 20 seconds or when you try to exceed 20 seconds of maximum effort. And it should be noted physiologically that the human is incapable of delivering maximum output for longer than seven seconds. That's when the ATP creatine phosphate uh, energy uh, production system uh, blows up. That's as far as it can go to give you the absolute 100% full maximum performance. And so after around seven seconds, you have to transition over into uh, the lactate pathway and then later the glycolytic pathway. And that's the science of uh, cellular energy production when you're going at maximum high speed. So just think of that. Interestingly, that after seven seconds, you're going to start to slow down and you're going to start to diminish your output. But when you're getting up to 20 seconds, you're working hard. You're capable of going really fast and doing really well, but then you should cut it off at that point. And then after you do a maximum work effort in between 10 to 20 seconds duration, you want to take a recovery period of at least six to one of your work ratio. So so if you sprint it for 10 seconds and I'm leaning on the shorter side of that window, if you're doing something high impact, like uh, running on flat ground and you can extend to the higher part of that window if you're doing low impact like sprinting on a bicycle or something of that nature. So let's say we sprint for 10 seconds on flat ground. We're going to take at least 60 seconds recovery period before you do the next sprint and uh, continue on throughout the set. And it's okay to take a little bit longer rest, especially in between your sixth and seventh rep, if you feel like you need it and you want to check on the central nervous system and your state of uh, excitement and focus as you tow the line for successive sprints. So you want to be really uh, uh, wired, pumped up, focused, ready for another sprint. And if that takes a minute and 20 seconds instead of a minute, don't worry about it. Dr. Craig Marker calls this taking luxurious rest intervals when you're pushing your body hard. And then as far as a number of work efforts, somewhere between four and 10 reps is plenty 
So if you're starting out, I think almost everybody can sprint four times for 10 seconds uh, on, a, on a stationary bike or something that's low impact. And if that's your starting point, that's fantastic. But even as you, even as you get super competent, uh, 10 is plenty. And if you feel like, gee, I felt so great today, I could have done 12 or 14. Well, you're kind of missing the point uh, and the desired effect of training uh, that explosive output, that maximum energy output, and all the hormonal benefits that accrue. So the point is, if you're getting fitter and feeling great, you try to go faster and faster and faster and perform more work, do better, rather than do more volume. So uh, this kind of endurance mentality of no pain, no gain, and how long can I hang on, and how tough can I be uh, by recovering in less time, that can be thrown out the window in favor of focusing on quality. And that is a wrap on a wonderful three-part series, how to boost testosterone and avoid the slippery slope downhill through tackling these four huge critical objectives in modern life, sleep, cleaning up your diet, uh, optimizing your relationship interactions, and doing exercise correctly, especially the brief high-intensity stuff. Thank you so much for listening. Let me know what you think. Send us a message to podcast at bradventures.com. And we'll catch you on the other side. Maybe we'll get some Q&A out of this. So please hit us with your questions. Hopefully you can get started, especially with the sprinting, the explosive stuff. Just get out there, get a plan. And if you need to do low impact at first, get on the stationary bike, warm up a little bit and hit it hard. You'll feel the wonderful benefits of pushing your body to the maximum. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkearns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad. It's time to be all that you can be in 23, starting with a cold plunge to get a natural boost in energy. Focus, discipline, and resilience. The plunge can provide you with all that brilliance. This is the ultimate home cold water therapy experience. A sleek, slick, custom-designed unit that gives you ready access to a cold bath of clean, filtered, circulating water that you can set to your desired temperature. Don't fool around lugging bags of ice from the supermarket for once-in-a-while action. Get the plunge so you will actually stick with your protocol and enjoy it. Visit thecoldplunge.com to learn all about this sensational product and the benefits of therapeutic cold water exposure. They'll deliver a plunge to your home for free, and then you have easy, simple setup, regular plug-in, and you're off and running. I set mine to 39. I don't spend a lot of time, but the experience is prime, and I'm focused and energized for a fantastic day and more resilient against all other forms of stress in life. Take the plunge, people, and also check out their new Rebounder Mini Trampoline to pair with plunging and optimize lymphatic function. It's all at thecoldplunge.com, and you can't lose with their generous 30-day money-back guarantee and special discount for BRAD podcast listeners using the code BRAD, thecoldplunge.com.